Ditch the clowns on the left. And the jokers on the right. And join Michael Smirconish right here in the middle. This is the Smirconish Podcast for independent minds. So this morning, I sent an email at 6.31 a.m. I received a reply at 6.43 a.m. And the person to whom I was communicating, I now know was overseas because of the timestamp on his reply. Richard Clark, national security advisor to several American presidents, three actually. He served three U.S. presidents on the National Security Council. He was also special assistant for cyberspace to President George W. Bush. He's been a frequent guest on the program here on POTUS, frequent guest of mine on CNN. As a matter of fact, he will be here tomorrow. This is what I said to Richard Clark, who has an expertise in cybercrime, artificial intelligence, national security, the confluence of all of the above. Me. This New York City subway story is straight out of your new book. If we were willing to sacrifice privacy and adapt the system way bow built, we'd have caught this guy by now. Richard Clark's response, true, but dot, dot, dot. And that is the inspiration for today's survey question, which is directly related to the manhunt in New York City. They're going to get this guy. They're going to get this guy soon, I think. Richard Clark's new novel came out yesterday. It's called Artificial Intelligentsia. I won't give away too much, but I'm really enjoying it. It's about a Chinese police detective, a young Chinese police detective, who stumbles onto a global cyber surveillance plot. The kind of book where, as I'm reading it, I'm constantly saying to myself, wait a minute, is that that possible? Are there glasses that have been made specifically to confound surveillance so that if you're wearing them, your image is seen as a mirror instead of a person? It's, it's the kind of thing you stop. And in the end of the book, he addresses he addresses what's real and what's fiction. And the bottom line is most of it's here and now. So Wei Bao is a young Chinese police detective, junior detective in a particular city in China. He's been educated abroad in Toronto, has an expertise in artificial intelligence. He designed a system to identify faces Facial recognition, even if people are wearing COVID N95 masks. By the way, that's another detail where when you get to the end of the book, Richard Clark says, yes, the ears are very important. Yes, we can see your face and identify you, even if you're wearing a COVID mask. So Wei Bao, the protagonist in this book, thinks that he developed a technology that is being used only in his particular city, but the Chinese government has rolled it out nationwide. And after the takedown of Russian hackers, he finds himself summoned to meet with the chief of staff to the Chinese president for a special assignment. I think I should probably stop there. But in the very first pages of the book, this Chinese junior detective, just work with me here, has just participated in the takedown of Russian hackers. Hackers from Russia who are doing bad things in China. So, for example, he loses a guy that he's tracking. I'm holding the book. TC is my witness. I'm holding the book in front of me here. This is true. So he loses 
someone that he's tracking this, uh, I mean, tracking like, uh, you know, actually following, surveilling on foot. And he calls into a, a central command, identifies himself, gives his credential number, and then gives the target number, meaning some type of identifying number for the individual that he is surveilling. Two mi- and now I'm going to read to you from the book. Believe me, there's a purpose to all of this. Two miles away at the Ministry of Public Security's provincial headquarters, a shift of 20 young technicians, mostly women, sat row upon row, slightly separated by barriers that prevented them from seeing each other's screens. They wore headsets and chattered softly to officers in cars, on foot, even one in a helicopter across the city and the nearby suburbs. Weibo's first project when he returned from Canada had been to introduce an artificial intelligence program for recognition, identification, and tracking. Police cameras had always been ubiquitous. But after COVID-19, most Chinese people wore face masks. Wei's software overcame that obstacle. The citywide surveillance system Wei had created used hidden and overt cameras all over the city to capture faces. The AI then compared the faces with the national ID photos to guess at whose face they had just seen on the street or in a bus or an apartment building, a lobby, or on a metro platform. The AI looked especially at their ears and their way of walking, both of which were usually unique to each person. To confirm the identification was correct, the AI then looked for where that person's mobile telephone was, what tower it had pinged. Way had supplemented the telephone towers with hundreds of police devices that all captured all mobile phones, which quietly pinged the police receivers every few seconds. The AI compared the identity guessed from the cameras with the location of the person as indicated by their phone. If the two sources agreed, then the AI had identity confirmation. It learned from these comparisons, and its error rate of guessing at faces declined over time. His AI program integrated data from the cameras that looked at license plate numbers, matched them with the car's registered users and the mobile telephone signals emitted by the driver and passengers. If a citizen moved by mass transit, as most did, the AI system followed the rider by knowing when they used their smart transit card to get on a bus, a tram, or a train. Cameras matched their image when using the transit card with images on file from their national identification card, military ID, and other instances of positive identify profiling. Thus... Weibo's program knew where every person in the city had been seen. Every person. All the time. If you gave Weibo's system the name of someone in the city, it could tell you not only where they were at that moment, but where in the city they had been over the past month, day by day, hour by hour, sometimes minute by minute. The software Way had perfected showed whom a targeted person had been near on a train, a bus, a car, an office, a store, a bed. And then it continues on. 
I just happened to read this last weekend in anticipation of welcoming Richard Clark tomorrow. And then all of a sudden, the New York City thing happens. And of course, if you're following it, and you POTUS folks, of course, are, you know that there are reports that several of the surveillance cameras weren't functioning. Why that's the case, I don't know. Uh, You know, poor maintenance, poor follow-up, and so forth. Um, But what is my point? My point is that everything I've just described for you from Richard Clark's novel, and maybe he'll tell me otherwise tomorrow, I doubt it, is here and it's now, if you want it to be. This is the Smirconish Podcast from SiriusXM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, SiriusXM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. What is my point? My point is that everything I've just described for you from Richard Clark's novel, and maybe he'll tell me otherwise tomorrow, I doubt it, is here and it's now, if you want it to be. And many of these things, it occurs to me, we're already doing with one big exception, and that is the national ID card, the photo national ID card. This subject came up yesterday. I said to somebody, the very people who want us all to have a photo ID card when we vote, and by the way, I'm totally cool with that, but many who feel like I feel on that issue are also the first to cry privacy foul if you say, well, let's just put a photograph on a social security card. This guy, this guy wouldn't be on the lamb right now. This is a conversation I might not be able to have with you. I hope I can't have with you tomorrow. Because by tomorrow, hopefully he will have been captured. But the issue is, is, is ripe for today. All of this technology is out there. It's being used in a variety of different forums and fashions. What I think we lack, I'm not expert, what I think we lack are two things. First, the national ID card with a photograph. That we know we don't have. But we also, and I've talked about this expansively in the past, I, I've talked about this in the context of some shooting incidents, particularly in schools, where I remember talking about this in the context of the Florida school shooting and doing a commentary here and talking about how, you know, it was one of those cases where in retrospect, like all the warning signs were out there, but the left hand and the right hand weren't conversing. There was no sharing of information and intelligence. Same thing here. Like this is being done piecemeal. Your employer knows what you look like. You've got an ID card, don't you, to get in the building? I'll bet you do. Your your sons and daughters at school, if they're in college, certainly do. They're not getting anywhere without a photo ID. So right now it's it's all kind of segregated. But if there were more of a a, a tethering, a tying together of all of these databases. Then in an instant like this, and of course, you know, the, the question is, what, you know, what are you prepared to pay for it? But in an instance like this, you know, what do we know? The guy rented a U-Haul in Philadelphia. He's got, a, he's got connections to Philadelphia and to Wisconsin. He's got a profile. He has said some ugly things on YouTube. All of a sudden, everybody's going to his YouTube channel to see what he's all about. The keys for the van apparently were left at the scene, right? How, I mean, how far... How far really could he have gone? My my gut tells me this guy is is probably still in New York City and maybe proximal to where it happened. I don't know. Did he have any help? We don't know. But when you think about all the camera technology that is out there right now, 
a case like this is the perfect case where you can say they'd have him by now. But I get back to Richard Clark because what did I say to him? I said to him, this New York subway story straight out of your book, if we're willing to sacrifice privacy and adapt the system of this fictional character that you wrote about, Wei Bo, the young Chinese police detective, we'd have caught him by now. And Richard Clark responds, yeah, but is the but worth it? You know what the but is? The but is that, I mean, now everybody's movements are known. Here, here, here's a great example. With one exception, uh, pretty much in my family, we're all connected by um, Find My Friends. And and we find it partic- why are you giggling at that? Because I'm, I'm giggling. Oh, because, you know the exception. Uh, well, I, you I know my, you know I our sus- son. So. I suspect I know the exception, but yeah. I also, also we have one child, right? And she is the exception. She's like my friends know how to find me. No, 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 they no, won't. So no she won't let you. Absolutely not. But on a day like yesterday, I really think about it, uh, Michael. Emma's I left Brooklyn. the studio. Right, but I uh, left the studio to make sure she was in her apartment and not on a subway. You could have looked down at your phone and known. And said, oh, look, there she is. Oh, there she is, and she's not at that locale. Right. Right. Believe me. Is it worth it? You don't have to tell me that. Okay, but Emma apparently thinks that that satisfaction and peace of mind is not worth it. Okay, but you're talking about two different things. You're talking about where you are in your private life, whereas Richard Clark is talking about where you are in your public life. So when you're walking along the street, do you have an expectation of privacy? I argue no. If you're walking along the street, you're in public, you can be seen, you can be tracked. I'm going to take a liberty and tell you something that you, you, uh, well, you know, cause I told you, but the audience doesn't know. And I think it's okay to tell. Oh, wait, this makes me nervous when you start down this road. Uh-oh. Well, suffice, <laughs> Thanks, suffice, suffice it to say, Uh-oh, suffice it to go. say that a friend of mine and a friend of the program just lost his father. Oh yes. And the way that he figured out that his father was in distress is that his father didn't show up where he was expected. An, an, an older gentleman, but in remarkable health for his 95 years. And my good friend figured out that there was a problem because on his dad's phone, he's got, you know, find my friends. Okay, that's it. Now and, Evan and, needs to be and on was find able, my friends. And was able, therefore, to call. Here's another thing. <sighs> way the hell off on a tangent now. But was, wait, was able to call the police department in the community where his father resides a couple of hours away. And ask them to go do a, a health check. Oh my! They did, hurts. and sadly, he's gone now. Um, but I mean, to me, that's a good use of technology. I agree with that. You know, so but that's a private family thing, as right. opposed Agreed. to right. Uh, totally yeah. agreed. I mean, and, and everybody's consenting. Everybody in our house, with the exception of one, is consenting Hysterical. to participate. Wait, do you? Are you on his phone? Oh, he knows where we are. But he refuses to... But but he won't tell us where he is. That's hysterical. Right. And I don't think that he's a no-goodnik. I think it's just that he's... Oh, he's definitely not a no-goodnik. I think it's just that he objects and and finds it offensive. That's what Emma does. So... She feels like we know enough about her as is. And she's right. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it's a really... For sad reasons, for reasons I wish weren't in the news, but it's a really appropriate day... I mean, even even if uh, this New York City incident had not taken place, amazing, by the way, thank God nobody's dead. But even if it hadn't taken place, I was intending to have a conversation with all of you about what I've just described. This is coming. This is here now. 
The Chinese are doing it. If this incident happened in China, he'd have been caught already. And part of me thinks that in, in floating this, that I'm having a conversation that we, we can't stop anyway. It's going to happen. How do we feel about it? Um, having heard my explanation, this is the survey question. This is how I worded it. I, I wanted to be faithful to what I've just described, and, and, and so I worded it as follows. Should AI be integrated with a network of national ID photos, public surveillance video, phone records, license plates, etc., as a law enforcement tool? Should AI be, and, and everything that I've referenced except the national ID photo, is in play already? Is this what we want as a law enforcement tool? This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Hey, Hannah Myers received a master's in international relations from Yale, which is impressive, but made more impressive by the fact that she did research embedded with British law enforcement while earning that degree, spent five years with the Intel Bureau of the New York City Police Department, and now is Director of Policing and Public Safety at the Manhattan Institute, and has written extensively about crime in New York City. Hannah, thank you so much for being here. What strikes you about the manhunt now underway and the incident yesterday that gave rise to the manhunt? Thank you. Um, You know, I think at this point, a day out, everyone is starting to think, what's the larger impact of this, which seems to have a nexus to all of these things that we were already worried about, to the rise in shootings and violence in New York, the enormous rise in subway crime and how and how scared people feel to ride the subways and what that's doing to subway ridership, mental mental illness, severe mental illness and and the policies that we have around that um, hate crimes. Um, policing policies, and in a way, this this suspect, um, Frank R. James, everything about his past and and so much about the crime that he committed ties into all of this, Um, and I think it's interesting to see what will happen in that conversation. Should this guy have already Um, been, should he already have been removed? Should he have been taken off the street? Is there anything you've seen thus far that suggests a slip-up on the part of law enforcement? So that's that's a that's a great question, and you know where this fits into subway crime is that uh, during the pandemic, ridership fell to as low as six point five percent of its normal amount, and we saw violent crime rise and rise, not just per capita, you know, so many fewer risers, riders, but in in raw numbers. Um, we had seven murders in the subway system in 2021. Seven murders in 2020. That's after over a decade of. average annual murders in the subway. Um, And then, of course, when you consider that ridership is just barely hitting 60% on weekdays, that's that's a huge huge degree of danger um, in the trains. And the approach that we've had since uh, Mayor Eric Adams came into office in January, he he started his career as a transit cop. You know, he's a a huge buff. Um, We have a new head of the Metropolitan Transportation Authority, Dana Lieber, who did uh, transportation policy advisory under Mayor Ed Koch. Um, And we have a new head of NYPD Transit Bureau, Chief Jason Wilcox, also a longtime transit security buff. Um, And their main approach has been 
more proactive policing, more police presence. Um, and, and for so many instances where there's a violent person with mental illness, which seems to be the case with this attack yesterday, this can have a real effect because they're stepping up, you know, fair evasion um, enforcement. And, you know, nine times out of 10, someone who goes into the subway to commit violence um, doesn't stop to pay $2.75 on the way sure. in. Um, I was going to ask you. Not all fair evaders. Mm -hmm. I I was going to ask you a question of whether I know that subway crime, especially if it's somebody who gets this is like everybody's worst nightmare to be shoved into Mm -hmm. the path of an oncoming train. I wondered whether a few high profile incidents have distorted our knowledge and understanding of the prevalence of subway crime. I've already heard you say, no, it's it. If you look at it on a per capita basis over the last several years, it really has spiked. Mm -hmm. So I'll skip that question. Instead, I will ask Hannah Myers this. What mm -hmm. did you want to say something about that? Well, just to interject that, um, that perception does play a big role. There has been an increase certainly. Um, but, uh, Fear on the like the the subway is is an area where people feel much more vulnerable and much more afraid than you know on the sidewalks on the street um, because you really are trapped and and that's always been a, a truism of subways um, and it's not unreasonable um, and surveys have shown in fact that that commuters who are already back on the train going to work you know me my husband my kids <laughs> taking the train to school have less fear than the people who stopped taking the train during the pandemic for, you know, whatever reason they weren't going to their office. Right. They and now they'll never go back of fear of crime. I, I totally get that's it. OK, so let me let me ask a different question. Uh, I don't know if you're capable of answering this, but give it a shot. So what is it about the subway that if I'm someone who's ill, if I'm someone with criminal intent, why is it a magnet? What is it about the subway that lures me to come there and do bad things? That's a great question. Um, I think it's a combination of things. So one is, and this goes back to the enforcing the sort of low-level crimes in the subway, we saw an enormous rise in the last few years of um, homeless people, people with mental illness, kind of camping out and loitering in the subway system. This is something that uh, Mayor Adams has said he's going to push back on. If you're, if you're in the subway, you're there to get from point A to point B and leave. Um, so it just made a higher degree of people who had instability, who had, who weren't sort of going about uh, pro-societal business in the subway to begin with. Um, I think also a lot of the mental illness is about, you know, these uh, a power dynamic. And in the subway, there's a great deal of, you know, you have a lot of power to hurt people, to, to scare people. Um, and, you know, what we saw with this Frank R. James, the alleged shooter yesterday is, you know, he said he's going to go shoot people. He's talked about the subway so many times in his many, many rantings YouTube's, against all yeah. kinds of ethnicities and policies. But we saw that also with um, Simon Marshall, who was the, you know, parole violating violent felon who pushed uh, Deloitte executive Michelle go to her death in front of a train. Horrible. Oh, my January. God. Was that Terrible. He'd been in and out of the system. He was in a state psychiatric facility a few years ago, and he told the, the mental health workers, I'm going to push someone in front of a subway car, you know. Um, so you, you so it, again, sort of speaks to how much we need to to think about the policies. If In New York, we've had such a decreased um, ability to 
to provide services to people with severe mental illness, especially if they need some degree of supervision, short-term or long-term. Sure. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that to, that we could go into, but that's another reason why there clearly is a fixation with the subways, to go back to your question. And, yeah, and, and something for about with it. Mental illness. It's a lure. Yeah. Hannah, thank you for coming back to the program. Wish you good things, and uh, we'll catch up later. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Hannah Myers is the Director of Policing and Public Safety at the Manhattan Institute. Hans, listening to all of this from Montana and thinking what? A couple of points I wanted to bring up here. The first of which is I agree with you that it is already in place, but I think that it should be limited to certain circumstances. While we're not expressly um, given a right to privacy within the Constitution, it is a human right. And we should have that freedom of privacy in both our public and private lives. The one time that I think that AI could be used is in the event of terrorist acts. Um, The Patriot Act already allows for things like this, but I don't think that everyday police forces should be able to see where we are at all times of the day. The second point that I wanted to make was that you mentioned that if Google or Microsoft did something like this, we would give permission to them right away. That's already been proven false with the Google lens. When people realize the extent to the facial recognition, I haven't seen it around since. Um, Just a couple of things for your thoughts there. So second point is, and I may have been unclear or misspoken, I I didn't mean that we'd we'd be more willing to give uh, privacy away to the the big tech giants than the the government. I was making a separate point. I don't think that the government is as equipped as the private sector when it comes to these matters. Said differently, if Google were running law enforcement's capabilities, I think that we'd be much more advanced. I have this impression from my years of working in the federal government that the government's always underfunded and getting the second level of product. The, the, The government's got the old iPhone. When the private sector has the brand new, if that makes any sense. Joe, Lakewood, Colorado, you most wanted to say what? Hey, Michael. I most wanted to uh, to say that the poster child for AI, as you mentioned, is actually China. But they are an authoritarian state. And my understanding is they're using ag- algorithms to track their people, not just for criminal purposes, but for political purposes as well. True. All right. That is true. I understand that there is usefulness for this. Um, In fact, here in Lakewood last year, we had a murder that was actually solved by the police by uh, tracking the suspect's car using uh, traffic cameras. They Mm. went back and checked, you know, the past week. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Tying together the license plate. You experienced that with uh, the UPS truck that hit your car. That's exactly right. That yes, the UPS guy. I mean, uh, why not use all that technology? Look, thank you. Go vote on the survey question. Should AI be integrated with a network of national ID photos, public surveillance, etc., etc., as a law enforcement tool? Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds.